Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and it's Love the Breeds Month here at Pure Dog Talk. You guys know that. We've already talked about Havanese, and we've talked about Finnish Lapins, and everyone on the Facebook page voted for their favorite breeds that they wanted to learn more about, which was a really cool thing. And Celium Terriers were one of the breeds that people voted for the most. So I'm very, very excited to have my dear friend, Leslie Jaseth of Seabrook Celium Terriers here to join us. And we're going to talk about all the cool things about one of these really, really rare little terrier breeds. All right, guys, are you planning your next litter of puppies? Or maybe you just finished your foundation bitch and you're ready to start health testing. Embark, creator of the highest rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers specialized testing just for breeders. And while they're offering a few different tests, only the Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kit was made to provide breed-relevant disease screening for your purebred dogs. It includes traits testing, such as coat color and body size, DLA diversity testing, breed ancestry, easy-to-download OFA submission reports, and the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program, including me, through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK to take $20 off a full-priced Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. That's EmbarkVet.com breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK. They're a very cool breed. I am starting with my first one. It's actually been 50 years ago. That is just amazing to me. <laughs> I was a junior handler and I always loved the breed. My mom bred Airedales and I fell in love with this. Her friend was a professional handler who bred Airedales, had worked for Tom Gately, but she handled Celium Terriers and from some of the great, great lines, St. Margaret lines that came from England. And there was this one that I always loved. And I think later I found out everybody in the whole Sealy Club had the opportunity to own Snow Girl and nobody took her. So when I came home from camp, I was 11. She was sitting under the kitchen table at our house and she was my birthday present. So that's how I got started. I could not have picked a more difficult dog to want to show in junior showmanship. Or a more difficult breed generally. I mean, I thought that I was bad with plumber spaniels, but (laughs) I mean, oh my God. She hated showing, hated it. So she made me become a good handler. And they always say that's how it works. If you want to be a good handler, get a difficult dog. I started that way from the beginning and I don't regret a moment of it. My first clumber in juniors could put all 65 pounds of his body weight in my right hand oh my God. to the point that his little back feet would come up off the ground. 
Oh so this my is gosh. how I developed, like, still, I got guns right here. Guns. You must have. <laughs> Fortunately, these dogs don't weigh that much. I'm grateful every day. So that is an amazing story. And so what I want you to do is talk a little bit about the history of the Celium Terrier, because one of the things we talk about so much here at Pure Dog Talk is preservation breeding. And literally that means preserving, conserving ancient breeds that represent a specific people in a specific place and really are living history to that period and location. So talk to us about Celium. Talk to us about the history of them because these are old terriers, yeah? They're old terriers. And actually, we've heard some different things about where they originated from. And I can touch on that a little bit later. But there's thoughts that some of them might have come from Belgium. And some of the very earliest dogs, there's definitely Corgi behind there. Bill Shelton has a book that indicated that, he told me. Wow. And they were then brought to the UK, specifically Wales. And Captain Edwards is the first one who intentionally bred them as a breed. And so there's a combination of terriers, as there were back then with many of them. His goal was to have a dog that could go to ground and hunt badger and otter. And they used to be used to go with otter hounds. So the otter hounds would track, and the sealies are great trackers, by the way. That is fascinating. And so when is this time frame? Early 1700s? By the time that Captain Edwards got down to what he was doing, probably more of the 1800s. Okay. Early, early days. I mean, it's like every dog, right? They start with this one and this one and this one, and people are molding this breed. He's the one that fine-tuned it. Okay. And his mansion is still there in Wales, Haverford West, and it's in Haverford West, and it's called Sealyham. And that's how they got their name. What he would do, as the story goes, is he would take a youngish dog under a year of age, and he would put it in a pit with a badger. If it didn't fight, if it didn't defend itself, if it didn't take care of the badger, he didn't want it anyways. So that's how he started this breed. They're tough in the field, and they're really engaging. They love to chase and run and track, but they're not aggressive with other dogs. They are a pack animal, so their pack is their home. Beyond their pack, they can be a little more assertive in personality, but within their pack, it's very distinct order. I've seen some amazing things in having four generations around here. That is amazing. And I guess I knew the badger and the otter piece. I didn't realize the otter hound piece, which I think is fascinating. And I love your explanation of, you know, people always are curious, how are they with other dogs, you know, dog aggression, human aggression. They are a stand up little dog. But I think the important piece to know is not within their own perceived family. They have their pecking order. It's like any pack you would have. There is definitely, it's a matriarchal group. I have this great video of when Gabby was young. We had her and we had her brother. And our old girl at that time, who's since gone, engaged her. And so got down and did the bow and was playing tail wagging, did that several times. And Gabby followed her. And in the meantime, her dam, Zenya, is right there on the other side, just standing there. Sammy, the boy, then comes up right around them, circling them, and Xenia walked right in between Fergie and the puppy. Very slowly, never disturbed them. 
But I didn't even really think about it until I went back and looked at that video recently and said, that's such beautiful pack behavior. Classic. And it's something that you can do as an owner. But I mean, it's like a lot of these terriers, if you want to have, they're going to play now if you hear her barking. It's a dog podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Right. They're happy to be the boss of the house if you don't want to do that. Yes. They'll take over. They'll be in control. But you might not like how that works. So you do have to be, I want to say strong. You don't want to be heavy handed with them at all. You don't need to be heavy handed. They're very bright. They're very inquisitive. They have a terrific sense of humor. They do things for effect and watch if you're paying attention. Mm -hmm. And then they'll repeat it. Or maybe sometimes if they see you watching, they'll just stop and walk away. I refer to it as the benevolent dictatorship. And it's exactly what we used to call our old girl. She was our benevolent dictator. I am the benevolent dictator at my house. (laughs) I am the dominant female in my pack. So it all works. Yeah, we call that an alpha bitch. (laughs) I wasn't going to say that, but since you opened that door, there we go. There you go. But it's interesting, too, because you see them respond to me differently than they do to my husband or to our son when he's around. And I think they get a little bit jealous of that. But if you maintain that behavior and that conduct, they're really easy to live with. We don't have fights. Leadership. I think leadership. Yes. You have to be a good terrier leader. Yes. And a lot of them are pack animals. And so you have to lead that pack. Yep. Very, very good. So fabulous history. And talk to us a little bit. They're a good size, right? Like they're not a tall terrier. There's nothing fragile about them at all. No. And they were bred to be a dwarf breed. And so they have this nice bone. I think our standard mentioned strength and power, something like 10 times mm-hmm. within the opening paragraph and getting into the standard. Good bone, not overdone, not coarse, still able to be agile. So they're not a really heavy dog like you might think of a Basset or another breed like that. But they're under 20 pounds, right? Ideally, the AKC standard says 10 and a half inches at the withers, and it's a dog that's square in body, but rectangular or oblong in profile. Right. So you have this, it's a heavy chest. Most of their weight is right in their chest. It's a deep chest. Because they Um, go to ground. Yes, up 24 pounds. And within that, bitches can be slightly less, but it is a sturdy little dog. And I think it's important for people to understand if they're looking to acquire a celium, part of that natural history is the go to ground is strong. Yes. <laughs> the go to oh, ground yes. is strong in these guys. Ours love to go under the bird feeders. Well, ours run the woods in our property. I don't have a kennel. I don't have runs. And so they're out in the yard and they stay white. They have nice coats. It doesn't take a whole lot of maintenance to keep them. They almost unplugged the computer here. Now they're just running. They huckle butt too. I mean, I know they talk about bull terriers huckle butting. Yeah. We call them zoomies. And so yeah. they will just take off running yes. back and forth. The tail goes down and they take off going. So yeah. that's what's happening while we are talking. Super cute. It's all yeah. good. It's like I said, this is a dog podcast. They're a sturdy dog and you can definitely see with their attitude and their behavior, they're self-confident. Mm-hmm. They should not be shy or withdrawn. They could take a badger. They would certainly go right into the mix. There's not a lot that they're fearful of, and that can be good and bad. So talking prey drive, then if you're someone who wants to own one of these dogs and you have cats or ferrets or other small furries 
Is that in my pack or is that fair game? I know sealies that live very, very happily with cats. That's not a problem. But as far as rodents and other things like that, I think you would need to be very judicious in how you handled that situation. A lot of people in terriers like ours, I actually take ours and we've done urban rat hunting mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. And so they do have an instinct to do that. They're not the lurchers or anything. They actually flush, flush the animals out of the ground or wherever that they are. Because the rats, of course, are much smaller. Mm -hmm. But they're fine with your cats. I wouldn't encourage letting your gerbil run loose in front of your sealy ham. I don't think that would be a good idea. Probably a poor planning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, the larger animals are fine. They're not timid around even farm animals. We have people that have farms, too. And they're very curious about cows and horses and all of those things. Great. Excellent. Okay, so you mentioned a little bit earlier, and I think this is a great segue. They're white. They're all white, and sometimes they have little gray, brown, black spots, but they're mm -hmm. white dogs. So talk to us about grooming. Talk about keeping it clean. Talk about the difference between a show dog and a pet dog. Talk about all that kind of stuff. So the reason why they're white is because Captain Edwards wanted them to be able to be spotted when they were out hunting. Now, granted, when you're in the mud, you're going to get muddy, but you're still going to have that white. There is fox terrier behind them. Once in a while, we'll see a mismark on the back. It's not desirable, and we try and avoid that. But a good coated sealy ham really is a dog that the dirt doesn't cling to them. Even if they're clippered, it'll dry, you brush it off, and they're okay. Oh, There's always exceptions if it's really heavy mud or something. Like Gabby came in the other day with this black mark all the way down her neck to her shoulder. And boy, did it smell bad. And of course, she got into the tub right away, and it was gone. If they have that harsh, crisp coat, mm -hmm. they really don't stain at all. And they do have a double coat. So you have this 50% harsh coat, 50% undercoat, which was weather resistant and kept them warm and somewhat dry. You will get a little more staining if it's a softer coat, but that's really if they're exposed to something continually and you never bathe them. Right. Most people, if you're going to show them, they do hand strip most of them, and that gives that harsh jacket that's mm -hmm. described in the standard. Most people who have pets get them clippered, and my old dogs that I'm not showing anymore get some sort of a modified clipper. We usually start with the flat work, the head, the neck, because those are the most tender parts. The back coat, some people will continue to get stripped just because it gives that nice, harsh yep. feeling. And usually if it's going to be a stripped coat, even with a clipper coat, just to maintain it for a companion, every six to eight weeks. Okay. Showing them, I hand pull them every week. I'm always rolling their coat. Yes, absolutely. Having had one that I attempted, I'm saying that was a challenge I wish I had undertaken when I was younger and stronger. <laughs> and Yondu has a gorgeous coat. Yes, that dog has a beautiful coat and it still gave me fits. So I'm saying... <laughs> It's a learning curve. It is. It's definitely a learning curve. As I said, I wish it was something I had done when I was younger and more capable. By the time I got to doing that dog, my hands were already pretty well shot. So Yeah, and grooming. I mean, I have good calluses, so that happens over time. I have arthritic hands, so yeah. it's not the tenderness. It's just that they, I understand they that. don't work. Okay, so grooming is an every six to eight week proposition if you're not going to be showing them. But brushing at least once a week, usually okay. twice a week, because they do have that undercoat. 
Yep. And because they will get tangled and you never want to bathe them if they have a tangle because it becomes like concrete. So it is a matter of keeping them brushed with a slicker, keeping them well combed. And usually we say at least once a week if it's really coarse coat. If it's a softer coat, maybe twice a week just to keep the tangles at bay. But if you keep up with it, it's not that big a deal. Right. Excellent. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, you guys. If you are part of a national breed club in the U.S. or Canada, I need you to listen up. My partners at Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet, have just launched a super exciting national breed club referral program. I mean, I'm saying, you guys have heard me talk about Trupanion's breeder support program before, and this is what gives you access to a special coverage offer for your litters that waives waiting periods for your puppies when you send them home. Now you can partner with Trupanion directly to share this incredible free program with the breeders in your club. And the best part, your club earns sponsorship support in return for every member that joins the program. It's pretty much of a win-win, guys. If you're interested and want to learn more, head to my partner page at puredogtuck.com and click on the link at Trupanion. Talk to us about who makes a really great Celium owner and who do you have to say maybe another dog would be a better choice? So a person who we talked about needing to be in charge of the home. So it needs to be somebody who is going to set boundaries, who's going to be consistent with correction. It can't be, oh, you can do that one time. Oh, no, you can't do it the next time because that's really confusing for any dog. But these dogs can be stubborn and have definitely their own mind. They will push the envelope a little bit. So you have to be consistent. You have to be firm but loving. You have to not be too hard because they can be extremely tender and sensitive. If you have a good report, they listen to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean they're always going to do everything you ask them to do? No. But we have a lot of people who do work with them in agility and obedience in a lot of different eventing and performance. Mm -hmm. And they are eager to please. And they're extremely food motivated. You could probably get them to do anything if you had food. Backflips, yes. Yes, yes. yes, They're very good with that. So somebody that doesn't mind having their dog sitting on their lap. Sealies like to be on your lap. And the one that I had in the picture, when I pick her up, she will literally just put her head right against my face and press really hard. They do love their people. Right. And they want to be with their people. Right. They're wonderful companions. They love to go for walks. They love exercise. They don't need to go running, but they do, you know, enjoy being with you, companion dogs. They're good size even for an apartment. Yeah. I mean, someone who lives in a small space and could walk and stuff like that. Absolutely. So that's not a problem. They don't need a huge amount of space and they will get their own exercise. They'll start just running from one end of the room to the other like these two were doing. Just because they caught each other's eye or a lot of them love balls. They usually love toys. Squeaky tennis balls are a great thing. It's a great way to get exercise. And we'll do that around here when it's rainy day or something like that or too much snow. But they do love snow also. So it's hard to get them in. 
that's funny. Well, they're so sturdy. So I'm back to the sturdy. Yes. And like I said, the one I had here, dirty, wet, he didn't care. He thought that was all great fun. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny how, you know, that water that's outside that falls from the sky and makes those mud puddles sure is different from what's in the wash tub, isn't it? (laughs) Valid. Absolutely valid. They don't mind getting out in the muck and the dirt, but they're not big, huge fans of baths, although they do tolerate that very well. Training, you know. Yes. Okay, so that's good. Now, talk to us about health and longevity. Small dog, I would expect them to be sort of a longer-lived breed. How are they with that? We have seen them live up to 18 years old. Oh, my goodness. And really good lives, and even those that have had small health issues live a long time. The average age, I would say, and the ones that I've had, is 14. It's not uncommon at all. And they really don't have a lot of health problems. We do test for primary lens luxation. And that's something we don't even really talk about anymore because we test for it automatically. And it's becoming, we still have carriers, but we're not seeing any affected dogs anymore. So a fabulous instance of when health testing removed a disease from a purebred dog. Love that. Absolutely. I went through this in a personal way where I had a female, she was beautiful, in the welfare box. She had one puppy and her first lens luxated. Mm. That was back in the 1980s and we didn't have a test for it. Wow. So of course, now you're removing that dog from that gene pool. We're so grateful for that test. The other things that people will test for is degenerative myopathy, DM. Some people test for that or IVDD, which is intervertebral disc disease. And so these are two diseases that we'll see them in longer back dogs, but neither one of those is just a simple yes or no. It's an always at risk. Right. So it's still something that they're doing research on. Beyond that, sometimes you will see some allergies. Not often. Most often it would be maybe a grass allergy where they'll be a little itchy. Mm-hmm. I mean, really not a whole lot that we see so many breeds have so many things that they test for. And this breed all in all is really a healthy breed. And the breeders make the effort to keep them up. Right. So Leslie, tell me, you've got a good size, easy keeping, easy to get along with, lives forever. And what are your numbers? You're one of the lowest of the registration, even in a low registration terrier group. What I hear all the time from people is, oh, their coat is so hard to keep up. It's a hard coat to groom. If you have a dog, any terrier that needs to be hand stripped, it might be a little more challenging if they have too much of a soft coat versus that balance of harsh and soft coat. It's not a coat like an Airedale or a Wire Fox Terrier or a Lakeland where even their leg furnishings are very harsh. Sealies have leg furnishings, which are almost like hair. So it's softer. You're never really going to have that hard, 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 crisp coat. So for that reason, a lot of people just said, oh, it's just a really hard coat to do. We're not going to get involved in that one. And so the breed fell out of popularity. If you find somebody who's a groomer that can do it, you know, you can keep one. Or you can clipper them if you just want to have a companion. They don't have to be kept in a stripped coat. But they're just a wonderful breed. I think that that's something, Leslie, that we don't talk about enough in purebred dogs, which is the fact that if you want to be a pet owner of a Celium Terrier, you can help preserve the breed even if you don't show it or breed it or anything else. 
because the people who are breeding it and showing it still are going to have pets that need homes. Yep. If you're willing to be a home, you help support that preservation opportunity. Absolutely. And we have a very good rescue organization affiliated with the American Thelium Terrier Club, and it's called Thelium's Forever. And they have gone to great lengths to make sure that any dog that becomes available for any reason, whether it's the owner dies or can no longer care for it, or a home situation changes, they're there on the spot to get the dog transported and into a safe place where it can be evaluated and then rehomed. So I'm grateful for that. They're a great little secret and more people have them than you think. They just don't necessarily get into the show ring. Right. We used to be hugely popular. I mean, you can go back to the entries prior to 1950, kind of that 30s to 50s time frame. You can look at entries in Celiums and they were huge. So the first ones that actually came, what I can understand, maybe not the exact first ones, but Alfred DuPont married a woman who was French, and they lived in the home Namors up in Wilmington, Delaware. And I found this out sort of by accident because Namors does a dog days of August every year. And they reached out to local Sealyham breeders to have them come and bring this breed. Alicia DuPont brought some of the first Sealyhams into the United States. She was also the first woman on the board of directors of the American Celium Terrier Club and bred them. She brought some from the UK. She brought some from France and Belgium. So she had a very big footprint. For quite a while there in the 1930s and 40s, they were the popular dog of Hollywood. And you can see all these pictures, you know, they were bred by some very, Betty Davis had them, Rock Hudson had them, Cary Grant had them, Queen Elizabeth II, who just died, she was raised with one, her mother and father had one, and her sister, Princess Margaret, had them throughout her life. And there's some very famous photos of her in this beautiful gown and this sealy ham sitting up at her feet. Yes. Oh, and Alfred Hitchcock. We can't forget Alfred Hitchcock. I was wait. I'm like, come on, who's the most famous <laughs> one? <laughs> and so, of course, he loved them. And the movie Hitchcock was made within the last decade. And so you got to see a couple Sealies there. We always say, if you ever watch The Birds. Yes. And as Tippi Hedren is going into the pet shop, Alfred Hitchcock makes an appearance in every film. And he's coming out of the pet shop with his two Sealyhams on the leashes. Yes. Walking them out. So those are the ones we sort of talk about. And that's actually part of our Meet the Breeds booth. Mm -hmm. The photos that um, they have Meet the Breeds all around the country. I think there's one this weekend in Columbus. I think there is in Ohio. And there's always a huge win in Orlando in December. The big dog show in December. So we always try and support those when we can. Yeah, absolutely. So in summation, if you had to describe the Celium in three words... What's the essence of a celium in three words? That's really hard. It's my favorite test. <laughs> Humorous. Well, it's not three words, but somebody said they're like a child in a white dog suit. Yeah. Sturdy. Sturdy. That's a good yeah. word. Sturdy is one I think of a lot. Yeah. It encompasses the powerful, the strength, the solidness, mm-hmm. intelligent. Yeah. Thinkers. Oh, yes. They ponder and they don't forget. They have wonderful memories. Well, and I think it goes back to 
or goes with the conversation we had a little bit earlier about you can't be too hard with them. They're not just pouty. They remember. <laughs> they remember. And boy, do they give good side eye. I yeah. mean, they <laughs> they will give a pouty face if something that they don't really care for happens, but they do remember. Yeah. Which makes them great for eventing and, and performance. And Absolutely. Just Barn hunt and scent work and yes. tracking oh, yes. all that good stuff. Absolutely. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to share with people all about your fabulous breed. I'm excited. Thank you for this opportunity, Laura, because it really is hardware breed that sort of gets overlooked a lot of time. And I was really heartened to hear that people wanted to know about this breed. Absolutely. There was a voting. There was a contest. <laughs> I think that's terrific. Yep. I really think it's wonderful because we always say they are sort of like a little secret. We want people to know about them and embrace them as companions and just terrific little dogs. Oh, I'm on Gabs. Say bye, Gabs. <laughs> I love it. You know right. you miss this breed. I love them. <laughs> I've always loved them. <laughs> Send me one of your retired ones and I can shave it and then we'll be good. All right. I can do that. All right. That sounds awesome. Leslie, thank you so much. Thank you again, Laura. I appreciate this opportunity. Revival Animal Health is a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. Revival Animal Health understands your commitment as a dog breeder. And now is your opportunity to learn what so many breeders already know. Revival is the place to turn for all of your dog breeding needs. During October, save $10 on your order with Revival. Just keep listening and find out how. As the pet vaccine experts, Revival is number one in selection for all your immunization needs. Now, with Spectra vaccines. Breeders trust Revival to protect their moms and get their puppies off to a strong start. Shop Revival's complete line of breeding products from pregnancy, whelping, and newborn care to Revival's own reproductive and neonatal health brand, Breeder's Edge. Visit RevivalAnimal.com and save $10 on your order with code PUREDOGTALK. That's code PUREDOGTALK. This offer is good through the end of October. So remember, code PUREDOGTALK will save you $10 on your order, only at RevivalAnimal.com. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for the generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons acquire special access opportunities and perks. The most recent addition for our patrons is Pure Pep Talk. These weekly mentoring messages are quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools for your tech box. Visit www.puredogtalk.com backslash patrons to find out how you can join the best community in dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic 
are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.